Hey you. I'm Kim. And I'm Tara. Welcome to Unapologetically You. We're all about pandemic passion projects. As you know, Unapologetically You is ours. Our guest Christy shares her journey from being a high-functioning alcoholic to living her best life sober. Mid-pandemic, Christy started a blog which morphed into much more as her passion project. The Brave Kind describes Christy's own journey of bravery and spreading kindness. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen in on so that we can continue to bring you these awe-inspiring stories. And stay tuned for Christy's feel-good story. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for your willingness to share your story with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So we checked out your kindness blog, The Brave Kind, which you know is totally right up our alley. (laughs) Why don't you tell us how that even came about? Sure. Well, it's it definitely mimics the journey that you both are on, which I think is just so cool and so amazing. I had been writing a kindness blog since last year. The jumping off point for that was kind of uh, my volunteer work. So I started volunteering. People wanted to know more about those stories and what that looked like and more about my clients. So I thought, okay, well, I'll share these stories in a blog. And I love to write. Writing is my passion. So it was a great a marriage of these great stories, heartwarming stories, and me having the out, creative outlet to write. So I started writing and I wrote a weekly blog and, and that was going just fine. But then this year, I really set my intention around courage and what did courage look like in my life? And what I noticed as I wrote the blogs is people would say, gosh, that's so cool that you go out and you meet strangers or it was about more than the volunteering it became i traveled for work and i would meet a stranger for a coffee date that i had met on instagram or it was someone that i connected with like if i were going to be in your area i'd say hey you guys want to meet up for coffee and people really admired that and thought that was cool and i thought i i didn't think it was that big a deal i thought everybody could do that but i just realized i was tapping into an inner courage that that inspired people. So it morphed from the the old blog was cultivating kindness, and then the new blog became the brave kind. But it also became so much more. So I added reading lists on the new website for to inspire people with different personal growth authors that I love. I've started offering collaborative pieces for people to buy that that embody the brave kind and and how do they those are highlighting artist friends so it's been so fun this journey that i thought like you two i i took this time that at first when the pandemic started i thought oh i don't know what all this extra time is that people are talking about (laughs) like okay maybe i can exercise more or i could cook more at home so it took a little bit of time to really figure out okay, I'm inspired and I want to follow this passion. I also have to give credit to my yoga group because I am in an online yoga community that we set set out this year to start this path of of manifesting a dream. And so when I looked out ahead at like, oh, I'd love to have retreats or something like that. And then this whole idea of the brave kind came to be to support, well, what can I do now to start to develop this, this journey, both for myself and to help other people? No, we love it. Like this is exactly <laughs> this is exactly right up our alley. So you but you always haven't been this way. What how did you how did you get to this point? What's your journey been like, I guess? I definitely I know it's easy for me to to say now like, "Oh, I I love doing all these things." And I was definitely not that kid by any means. I have been sober for a little over 2 years. 
So I've been sober since May 12th of 2018. Woohoo! Yes, yeah. It's, it's still hard for me to believe just because I alcohol was such a crutch for me for so long. But yeah, as a kid, I was, I have a half brother who's nine years older than me, but I always lived at home by myself. So I, at home, I was the only child. So I was, I just became kind of this quiet, withdrawn kid. I went from, when I look back now, I know there was some creative aspects and I wrote poetry and things like that. But somewhere along the way, I just really retreated and I had to change schools several times. So I think maybe as a kid, like, Looking back now um, and hearing some of the stories that people, other guests you've had, it's like, oh, that probably impacted me more than I realized. And I became this really quiet kid who just, I was very sensitive. So even before I started drinking, I, there was self-harm. I ended up in group therapy because, you know, my parents were obviously concerned and I think I was dealing with depression however that looks like when you're 15 or 16 and it's probably a lot of hormones and different things happening that you that you don't understand and i just just didn't develop the coping skills i guess at that time to to deal with personal conflict i'm a i'm a conflict avoider or i I was I've, i've worked on that now but i became so sensitive and then once alcohol came into the picture, it was like, oh, this makes me feel great. And it gets me out of my shell. And I can talk to people and I'm not embarrassed. And it was just it became such a crutch. And I was never a normal drinker. When I got into college, it got worse. And I had always been a good student. I went from Dean's List my first semester to barely graduating. The shame and the self-loathing really kicked in. And you know, this was early 20s. And it just kept going for yeah. the next couple of decades. I got married in my 20s. I, I, when I finished college, it was like, okay, well, if I get the job and I get married and I do all the things that I think life is supposed to look like, then then that'll then I'll be happy. <laughs> it was it was yeah. always about yeah. external validation. Right. And I got married. I'm divorced now, so I was married for seven years at that time, and. You know, things things got better. I had a good job. I was very focused on my career. I definitely put the heavier drinking sort of subsided, but it was always present. I mean, it was always looking for who wants to go out and do happy hour. It definitely affected my marriage. And I think just my my ability to be content in that relationship and I just felt like we were growing apart. So when we got divorced, it was really bad news for me. And and this was in 2009. So I was early 30s at that point. I'm 45 now. Was this a mutual? Was it a mutual decision between the two of you? Or was it brought up on his end more so? Or was it you? Yeah, it was more so me. I look back now and I and I'm I'm in I'm in an amazing relationship now. So I'm married to a wonderful man who's been a huge supporter of my sobriety. So I I think everything turned out the way it was supposed to. But I think with that and a lot of other even working relationships, other relationships in my life, I look back now and I think I didn't cut anybody any slack. Like I expected things to go a certain way. And when they didn't go my way, it was, well, 
you know, I don't have time for you. I look back at that's how, like I said, my expectations of what my life should look like. Mm -hmm. And even these relationships affected everything I did. And when they didn't go my way, then it was okay, well, let's get drunk because I did. That's how I want to deal with it. Responded to it. Well, yeah. it's, like a, it's a, an escape for a lot of people to just kind of table what's actually going on in your real world, right? When it looks like mine did where I could, I could keep a job and I could perform at a job. And even when I was blacked out, people wouldn't know that I could carry on a conversation. And so it's really hard to look at that and realize you have a problem or admit to yourself that you have a problem. And so I know, I know so many women, so many people in general just struggle and sit on that fence for a really long time. The bravest thing I ever did was deciding to get sober. So when yeah. I, when I look back and say, oh, I, you know, I've, I've always been a nice person, a kind person, but really the brave started the day that I decided to get sober. When I got divorced over the next couple of years, I was in a couple of very dysfunctional, very codependent relationships. And alcohol was the center of both of those. So it was all about going to the bar. And that was the the only thing probably connecting me to either of those sure. I think with both of those, I didn't like who I was becoming with them. We'd get in alcohol-fueled fights, or we'd stay up drinking and I'd be late to work the next day. I'm like, I love my job. I love, yeah. I value my work ethic. I value integrity. So all of these things that I was doing, both with codependency and the alcohol were affecting who I felt like I was at my very core. That shame just really grew and grew. So I looked at a couple of things like some moderation programs and other things that I thought might help. And that was, I was about 35 at the time, so kind of 10 years sort of in this discovery process of, yeah. <laughs> of, of like, okay, I think there's a problem. Maybe, am I willing to commit to, you know, not drinking? No. So I went back and forth with this struggle for a long time. Society has normalized drinking when you're out and about at all times, like all social gatherings, that's just typical. You're trying to balance like, well, this is what everybody does. And does everybody really get this drunk or they must? And so it's like that excuse that you like talk to yourself through while doing this. So taking that first step is a huge deal. It is. And yeah. you tend to spend time with people who drink at the same level you do. So yeah, right. just like you mentioned, not being you know, is this normal? It's like, well, sure. When I hang out with people who want to close the bar down also, right, then right. it's normal. We're all doing this. And going back to being brave or courageous, it's hard to think, well, if I walk away from this lifestyle, I'm going to lose all my friends or I'm not going to know who I am. I only identify with this persona that I am when I drink. And so that was the scariest part for me was who am I without alcohol? Because all I remember is that little girl who's afraid of her own shadow. It, yeah, it kept me drinking for a very long time after I felt like I wanted to stop. So in 2012, I moved to Arizona and I took a new job and I was like, okay, I'm done with these bad relationships. I need a fresh start. I took a job in Phoenix. It was great. It was a great start for me. It was very empowering. The drinking didn't change. And 
if anything, it probably got worse because once I bought my house, I discovered this little dive bar down the street. And so it was, okay, I can go down here. What was this great, you know, oh, I'm independent and standing on my own two feet was like, oh, and I'm alone. And I don't yeah. want to be that person that drinks alone. I would end up down there or down the street two, three times a week. I had moved out here for this job and I feel like I felt like I was really letting people down, even if they didn't notice, I knew. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I met my now husband at that bar. So, <laughs> so that was the one good thing to come yeah. out of that. So, you know, even at first our relationship looked a lot like that, you know, okay, well, let's go out and drink and let's party. But I just, I valued that relationship so much. And I knew that I, there was, I was about to turn 40. It was like, there's, there's more to life. Like I cannot be this 40 year old party girl, blackout drunk because I can't see how this ends well. <laughs> like, right. I just, I figured it was going nowhere that I felt like I had a lot more potential. And so again, I started like, I would reach out to people who I knew were sober and it may be a lot of times their story did connect with me, but it didn't necessarily make me stop. It was like, okay, well, let me explore that path. Let me figure out what that might look like for me. So I was definitely inspired by friends who would who would share their story with me and, and say, well, this is what worked for me. But I, I, I had to really get ready for myself. And we moved back to Texas um, in 2016. And I was living here, back here in Texas for a while by myself because my husband was finishing up his job in Arizona. And I wasn't real happy at my new job and I was living alone. Um, and so I was definitely, the, the alcohol use was getting worse. And I just kept saying, okay, something's gotta change. Well, I met a neighbor who took me to my first 12-step meeting. I had actually been told about this particular group. I knew I needed some kind of sober program. I knew I needed help. I, I had tried so many times on my own. And so, yeah, it was that in 2018 when I first started 12-step program that it just helped solidify all of the things that I knew I needed in my life. And I needed maybe a little more structure at the time to get sure. sober. Um, you know, the way that works, you have a sponsor who helps you out. That conversation with your neighbor, was that something that you had been like open and honest with your neighbor about? Or was that something your neighbor was recognizing in you? I think it was a little bit of both. It was funny. We have this backyard space and we like to hang out. And, and typically that was hanging out and drinking all the beer and smoking all the cigarettes. And like, and so she would come over and hang out. And I never noticed that she wasn't drinking, that she always had like a sparkling water or, you know, it, so she made it look fun. Like yeah. that, that all that fear I had about, oh, life ends when you get sober was not the case with her. You know, anytime something would happen or I'd be like particularly regretting a night or, you know, just anything like that. And if I mentioned it, she said, well, you know, you can always go with me on Friday night to an open meeting. And so finally, I just, I think I had been on a work trip. And at this point, I have the job I have today. And I was traveling a lot for work. And I could, you know, same deal. It was like drinking at a hotel bar. Nothing good was going to come of that. Yeah. Like something was going to happen. If I couldn't remember what was happening, I, you know, somebody could take advantage. And I, again, I didn't recognize it because all I cared about was 
you know, relaxing with drinks at the bar, but just putting myself in those situations was scary and scary to think about what could happen with because I loved this job. I loved my husband. I There was so much going for me in my life that they talk in recovery about the yets. And so nothing had happened to me yet, but something sure. was bound to happen. And I just, I did, was not willing to take that risk. I was finally not willing to take that risk. The shame and the self-hate was so intense that because I was trying to control the alcohol and I couldn't, then it was like, oh, I'm a failure and I'm, I can't control this. And so I was just beating myself up nonstop. Yeah. So I finally, you know, yeah, told the neighbor like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you. And, and and I've tried all these other things. So I might as well try this, even though I'm not sure what it's all about. <laughs> and it worked. So after that first meeting, did you drink again? Or was that it? That was it. That was it. Wow. I, I was so ready. I mentioned about depression and that. And so I'd taken medication throughout the years. And at this point, I wasn't taking anything. But I had talked to my doctor about my anxiety. And so I think I might have been on anti-anxiety at that point. But now in hindsight, I look back and think, gosh, you know, it was the alcohol fueling so much of my depression and anxiety. But yeah, it was all I just felt like I was at war in my own head every time I woke up from drinking. Which, like you said, is like scary, especially when you're in like unfamiliar situations. But it's also scary for your body. I mean, the damage that alcohol, like we all know that, like alcohol damages our bodies, damages them long, long term, the more that you use it, right? Tara and I definitely indulge in a few cocktails and whatnot. But like when you drink excessively, I mean, who knows what you're doing to your body? Clear as day, having this successful job and now this marriage and this house, like you have all these things that you want to do. And that's something that might be limiting you from getting to where you want to go. Absolutely. And I think that's what it helped me recognize that all of these things I wanted for myself became possible when I stopped drinking and just the energy I have. And, and I still, I use a lot of tools for my anxiety. So I certainly have tools in place for that. Fascinating. Is there, a, is that like meditation? Is that like yoga? Do you do that all for anxiety or are there other different things that you use? Yeah. So I, I love meditation. I've been doing yoga for about five years. So that predates sobriety, but I was not, I was like one of those people who said, oh, I, I need to be more flexible. So I'm going to do yoga. <laughs> and now it's a tool to help me get out of my head because you know anxiety is all about overthinking and being in your head in this panic mode. And so getting on the mat helps me relax and get into my body. A meditation, definitely. I'm not as regular as I'd like to maybe be, but I do have a meditation pillow. So in the mornings I sit, I have a very solid morning routine. So it's a devotion. I love Language of Letting Go by Melody Beatty, and she does a lot of work on codependency, which I maintain that her information is good for anybody when it comes to yes. relationships with other people, codependent or not. So I read that, I, I meditate, I have my coffee. Um, sometimes I use mala beads. So um, mala meditation, yeah. so, <laughs> they kind of look like rosary beads. So it's like 108 okay. beads on a necklace and you work through with a, like a mantra or an affirmation as you go through. So it's that physical aspect of working through the beads 
and that you've said something positive 108 times by the time you get done. Very cool. So that's, yeah, that's been a tool that, again, probably not one I don't use as often as I could, but it's, I have 25 things and I'm like, okay, what do I feel like doing today? I'm going to pull right. this out of the toolbox. And right. so I love it. And I think that's been the coolest thing too about the brave kind and trying to share this story and this message is there's no one size fits all approach. And Absolutely. I mean, I know everybody has a story, but mm -hmm. I feel like whether it's alcohol or food or anything that has been problematic in your life that you've you know, recovered from, that it's just this idea of being able to use a, a multifaceted approach and find what works for you. But for me, it's really focusing on that those ideas of courage and compassion. Exactly what you said, like you were limiting yourself before all of this and now you're limitless. Yeah, so I love that. <laughs> I, I like to feel that way, you know, it's, but I, I know it's so hard when you're, you're stuck in that comfort zone. Um, but yeah, that's just my hope is to help people understand there is life outside the comfort zone. <laughs> the self-confidence that I've developed in sobriety, that's the part that is priceless. So a question that we have for you is what advice would you give to someone who feels like it might be time for a change in their life? A couple of different things come to mind. I think that tapping into a support system that understands what you're going through is huge. I know for me, like it's never too late either. That's you know, like you said, I, I've I've dealt with this for two decades of my life. I thought, oh, this is just how it's going to be, but now coming out on the other side of that change, it's like created all these possibilities, and it's so worth it. What have you learned about yourself through this entire process? Oh, I love rediscovering who I was as a kid. I've learned that I was this creative and outgoing and um, positive kid that just got lost for a little too long, but <laughs> said never too late <laughs> to, to make a change. Yeah, I do love that. What do you think has been the hardest part about your journey? Sobriety is not easy. <laughs> so learning not to give up on myself. This is the first thing that I did consistently. And I think that's what, again, when I think about the labels I put on myself, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm good at self-sabotage. Well, sure you are when you, when you don't believe in yourself. And right. so it's about um, the sobriety part helped me believe I could do something day in, day out. And so now I treat a lot of other aspects of my life that same way. So what can I do? Just baby step my way into something new. What do you hope the takeaway is of your story for our listeners? I just, I think if anyone is questioning their relationship with, whether it be alcohol or something else, and you know that there is a, a greater purpose and you feel that pull, know that that's not a mistake. That is by design. You deserve that life on the other side of whatever is holding you back. I love that. I love that. That, that just gave me all the feels. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. The journey to sobriety is one that 
like you said, it's super difficult for people to get that first step done. Um, so I think hearing from other people on the other side and seeing how successful and happy and clear-minded you are now, I just, I think it's beautiful when people share their honest stories. So before you go, we just have a few fun pop questions we're going to ask you. What is your spirit animal? Oh, so I actually have two tattooed on my calf. <laughs> I have a lion for courage and a tortoise for patience. Oh, I love it. I love that. Um, if you were a superhero, what would your power be? I think I'd maybe mind reading. <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to know what everybody's so thinking, but it sure makes dealing with people easier. What is your most used emoji? Oh, the heart. <laughs> How do you feel about pineapple on pizza? I like pineapple on pizza. Oh, I know awesome. it goes against the grain for the two of you, but <laughs> sweet and salty is my jam. So. Oh, well, I'm glad that you enjoy it at least. Um, and then if you could have an endless supply of anything, what would it be? So I do my to-dos via post-it notes. So an endless supply of post-it notes. Oh, I love that. I love a good post-it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us. And most of all, thank you for being unapologetically you. Well, thank you for having me. It's just been such an honor to, to meet you and to follow your journey, too. Thank you. We're so happy you joined us, and we hope this story inspired you to be unapologetically you. Join us next time for another remarkable journey. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, please reach out to us on our website at unapologeticallyyoupodcast.com. Don't forget to like us on Instagram and Facebook at unapologeticallyyoupodcast. And please rate and subscribe on whatever platform you listen in on so that we can continue to inspire you.